All right, I'm back with the Black Women's Guide to Understanding the Black Man. We are on Chapter 6, Employment, and we are on Part 3, page 99. Europeans are masters at setting agendas, moving on an idea and convincing constituents to offer support by showing them how it would benefit them to cooperate. From the first day they came here, they agreed to uphold the plan, stick to the ideas agreed on, and share in and share in the success. The educators, the businessmen, the scientists, the doctors, the lawyers, industry, politicians, common laborers, wives and mothers, and the founding fathers who set the agenda all agree. When any small or large group of people agree to unify to achieve something, they succeed. This is not to say that they did not have debates or problems trying to absorb or reject various suggestions, but they agreed on the basic premises and worked <clears throat> as a solid and worked the kinks out as they arose, and they stood steadfast together as a solid wall unified in their conclusions to install the foundations of their ideas which would preserve their culture and aptly provide their future generations with a system of rulership. These founding white fathers agreed. They made the sacrifices, did things they didn't want to do, worked harder than they preferred, played by the rules they agreed on, duped it out on the streets if necessary, but they held fast to the goal and taught their sons and daughters how to preserve the system, and they too agreed. They agreed to continue to work day and night to keep it going and to teach it to their own children right on down the line. Each new generation per <clears throat> perpetrated the original plan, improving on it whenever they could. Obviously, the above is a broad description of how they did it, what they did, but it certainly gives the greatest value as being agreement and unity. Black men, on the other hand, take special time to point out that they are not all alike and do not wish to be lumped in with other black men or blacks in general. The recent most fashionable trend in their dialogue is to intellectually point out the black community is not monolithic. The only unique aspect of the black man's personality is that he and his kind are not monolithic. Every nation all over the earth when learning of the poor quality of life and injustices black endure in America realize that they suffer these indigenities because they are not monolithic. In fact, the number one reason the black man has not risen in, risen to his full economic capability is because he is not monolithic. Because monolithic means stone-like and firm. The black man is not firm in holding on to his own ideas. His lack of lithification causes him not to be solid, solidified on any issue concerning his own people. He has defined and redefined adjusted and readjusted, changed and rechanged himself over and over, continually trying to fit in, repetitively trying to mold himself into the images others have chosen for him. Each time he remakes himself, it is with the hope that he will finally qualify for a full acceptance, justice and respect he believes he is due as a man. He says he is disgusted with the way other black men behave and think. He says he is embarrassed by their actions and savagery. And he uses the worst examples of his kind to tell himself that there's no point in him trying to make a change for the better by himself. He says the most dudes are liars. Jive, <clears throat> most dudes are liars. Jive can't be trusted and will steal your woman if you turn your back. 
They always use other black men as the reason that African-Americans are not together or making any progress. He only feels this way because all of the solutions he thinks of require him to get a law passed, convince whites to help petition the government, locate something impossible to find, get all black men to agree on an action, get his woman to cooperate, get a loan, get a grant, get some help, or as long or a long list of other obstacles he thinks he must overcome before he can do anything. The last place he looks for help is the own determ is his own determination and ingenuity. He has believed his height, the height. He thinks that the mountain is just too high to climb. And besides, he doesn't have a rope or or a hope that he can succeed. He is too mentally lazy to start at the bottom. He doesn't realize that he's already at the bottom. It would be better for his wounded ego if he started this very day to try to become independent in some way. It would be better if he took charge of one of the problems he sees existing in his neighborhood. It never It's never too late for him to learn farming, canning, poetry, or beef production, how to operate a hospital, how to run a school, how to set up a first state center, how to set up a grocery store, how to make shoes, how to build a bed, create a stove, weave a broom, turn cotton into cloth, make a light bulb, or to supply any number of the thousands of daily needs and wants of African-American people. He can't do most of these things because he wants no talk. He was not taught to think in terms of taking care of himself. In fact, he has been innuendo into thinking that all of his needs would always be supplied by others and that they could do it quicker, cheaper, and better. They're doing it would save him time, money, and worry, but that is not how it has turned out. The way it has turned out is that today he feels useless, unable to keep up, and helpless. There's so much to do, and he has so little resources to do it with that he is stunned into not doing anything. Yes, there are many black men who are entrepreneurs, but most of them supply the optional recreational needs of civilization. The basics which keep him tied and restricted from exerting masculinity are not made or controlled by him. He has no more ownership in America than the Indians, and they have none. This entire scenario comes down to education. He has never been taught the basics of survival or the psychological psychology behind why he needs to know how. He has been mentally bullied into inaction. He has no memory of ever supplying his own needs, nor of being responsible for himself. This lack of familiarity with independence has followed him home, another place where he is not adept of taking care charge of his wards because he has allowed others to set the rules and standards there too. As during the depression of the early 1930s, when jobs and food and opportunities are scarce, men become more impatient and hostile to each other and to the government. During the depression, white men and the families picketed, rioted, and often stormed grocery stores to get food for their families. Welfare was first given to poor whites during this era as a way to calm down the angry husbands and fathers who were not able to support their families. It was to be only a temporary measure until the economy got better. But once the government had made available welfare payments, food stamps, and food rationing 
stamps, it became known as a charity, a temporary governmental assistance to be given to those unable to provide for themselves at the time. There were no requirement that the white male husband or father as head of household had to leave home so that his family could qualify for welfare benefits. To the contrary, welfare was designed so that the family could stay together and maintain a household. Later, these rules changed. Bam! As the American economy becomes tighter and tighter and fewer jobs are available for white males, black men will be shoved more and more out of the workplace. In these cases um, where this does happen, there will surface new hostilities towards them for having a job with so many white males unemployed and able to secure their families. In the near future, there um, will be job wars based on who should be employed. Men will actually start to physically fight over jobs. More women will be let go so that a man can work and more black men will sink into deeper hopelessness and outrage at having nothing to do. This situation is unavoidable based on the swelling national debt, failing banking institutions, and confusion in the government. All of this along with huge debt owed to America abroad that will remain uncollectible will set the stage for mass dissatisfaction between the haves and the have-nots. The black man's problem is not always that he does not have any money, but that he allocates his funds to the wrong expeditions. While big business in America complained throughout the Reagan era that the economic gymnastics caused the quickest Grand Slam redistribution of wealth ever seen during a presidential term, this redistribution also caused a mass rearrangement in the lives of African Americans. High-paying plantations, which formerly provided many black families with dependable incomes, hospitalizations, life insurance, and retirement benefits, all but vanished. Many who were used to working and being comfortable turned to unemployment benefits, food stamps, and welfare. Black men were affected, trailing behind them despondent black women. Those eight years were crucial. Wealth such as it it was was redistributed from grocery stores, rent clothes, and consumer bills to the crack cocaine drug dealers. A lot of the money low-income Blacks spent in the neighborhoods and urban shopping centers were redirected into the quicksand lifestyle of the drug culture, never to be heard from again, and causing many smaller locally owned suppliers of goods and services to bankrupt. Closed stores and boarded-up buildings pulled property values down and reroute traffic to other thriving areas. Many urban areas have multiple city blocks of closed-down businesses, entire shopping centers, and downtown business districts that not only exited existed on the black man's money, but employed him on some level, have disappeared. The middle-class black man slid into low, and the lower middle-class black man landed flat on his back. There has developed the widest gap in income and lifestyle since the 30s, as there are now many only two classes of Americans, the rich and the poor. The broad area in the middle is filled with those trying to hang on by sheer will. The economy is not better. Jobs are not available and the recession might surprisingly slip into a depression. And despite all that is happening as a warning 
and might catch the black man by surprise. Again, black men spent a lot of cash or credit on items bearing no resemblance to investment for their future survival in such a wavering, unsteady economy. He is not seen readily preparing for the days of want, which is predicted to descend down shortly upon the whole country. I'm going to stop there. Uh, that's the end of part three. And that's the end of page 102. Okay. Uh, we're on chapter six. What did you get from there? I think that it's steadily being eye-opening. I love the facts. I mean, investigate it. You know, if you don't know. I've heard some of these facts before, so I can um, attest to the fact that, you know, the facts that she's pulling up is the truth. Um I really think we need to pay attention to the the strategy of you know the white man. I mean, we I'm not putting the white man down. He did what was best for his people. But it was different when it came to us. We were the black man and woman of America is not his priority, neither should we be. So what should be his priority is uh, his atonement, you know, of what he did to bringing us here and not and doing unjust to uh, the black man and woman. This unjust thing that was done, I keep on repeating it. Woe is me. You can say it if you want to, but uh, slavery and even though we were made free, never were we uh, made free after that. We we, uh, we remained slaves, even with this welfare thing. You know, it was done what needed to be done to help these angry white men who were, uh, you don't hear too much about that. They, and I, and I run into white men to this day that to me reflect this same attitude. They talk about it with the gun laws. By God dang it, my gun, I should be able to, you know, talking like that. And they would never be classified as dangerous, put in nobody's jail. But a black man better not have a certain tone, else even me sometimes as a black woman, I'd be looking like, okay, what are you about to do? We got to get over that. We got to unify. We got to love one another. That's what I'm getting from this. And it, it's really teaching me to not do some of the things I was doing to support my black man and be a part of the rise that needs to happen uh, with us. Okay. So, all right. That was the end of part three.